Go ahead and turn your Bibles, if you would, if you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start there today and, uh, and kind of bounce around into some different areas as well. But Acts chapter 1. I'm not sure what I did before we had this huge surface up here as a pulpit. It's, a big, it's, a, it's kind of disconcerting. You look at it, it's like, ah, oh, it looks small. No, it's, it's huge, but um, there's so many papers on it now. We fill it up. Okay. So we're in Acts chapter 1. We are continuing through and actually kind of finishing, at least putting a, 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 a pin in it right for today, uh, in our discipleship series. I'm sure we'll come back because discipleship should be in our heart and on our mind uh, constantly, so we'll add to this series. But for today, we're, we're ending our, our kind of three-week emphasis on discipleship. Uh, but my hope is it doesn't end today. Our hope is that this began something for you. And, and I, I want you to hear our heart uh, clearly here. Um, Sunday morning is so important. The exaltation of Christ together as the body of Christ in worship, the exaltation of the Word of God so it can be lifted up high and held high for, for us as a standard and for us as transformational uh, information and, and, and God's Word into our heart. It is so pinnacle. But like I said a few minutes ago, this is a launching pad. This is a springboard, a diving board. So we come and we gather together in unity in Christ, and then we launch ourselves out from this, and we go out into the world, and we continue to be disciples who make disciples. So there's more to our faith, there's more to the Christian faith than, than butt and seat on Sunday morning. That's, that's our heart. Our heart is as we leave, we are still the community and body of Christ, right? This is a building. We are the church, Amen. And as we walk out those doors, this is still a building, and we are still, what? The church. We're still the church. And we got to be growing in community with one another. Uh, so we can't stress it enough. It is so important for you and for me to be connected in small groups. So please fill out that green card. Please let us know when you're available. Um, and and here's the thing. Obviously, if you, you're like, I don't want to do that. Okay, you, you don't have to do that. We're not going to force you to do that. But, but I would say this is what is good for you, and it's what's good for the church. The church needs you as much as you need the church. And, and vulnerable community doesn't happen right now. We aren't sharing our burdens and our hearts and getting to the nitty-gritty of stuff. It can't, it can't take place. There's too many of us to do that. There's maybe a little give and take before the service, a little bit after the service, but vulnerable community happens when you say, you know what, I need to get into life together with other people. And it's so important to be in life together with our brothers and sisters who are flawed, who are fallible, who are, who are sinful, self-centered human beings. And it's going to be a little messy, but our ultimate goal is to have, have a vulnerable community where we, where we ultimately submit not to our own pleasures, our own, our own preferences, but we submit to the Word of God. And then we are built up and encouraged then to serve one another and, and serve and reach our community for Jesus Christ. So, so important. That's, that's the heart behind this series. And the heart behind the series is that the Word of God would transform us and let us know what is a disciple. What does it look like to be discipled? So, we have gone through... Uh, three of the five questions. Today we're going to finish up with the last two. Uh, the first three questions that we've covered. Uh, Alistair preached on the first two. It was, what is a disciple and why do we make disciples? So a short recap there. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, who turns from sin, from themselves, to the Lord Jesus in faith to be saved. They, they entrust themselves to a faithful creator who has given, them, given himself uh, on the cross for their sins. He is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to be forgiven. He's the only way for us to have a righteousness that we could never achieve on our own. So we lay ourselves down, we, we turn in our filthy rags, and he exchanges those for his perfect righteousness, and we become then Christians, right? We are then in Christ. We have a new identity. The old is gone and the new has come. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Because not only are we uh, people of faith, we are people who follow, 
right? Disciples who follow Jesus. When we, what is a disciple? It's someone who comes to the Lord Jesus in faith and then abandons the Lord Jesus and walks away. No, that, that doesn't happen. It's, it's a two-pronged attack, right? He's both the Savior, you save me my sin, but we make him Lord and we say, I'm going to follow you. You're my Lord and my Savior. So what is a disciple? It's someone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ and, and decides to follow him. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. What is a disciple? Then why make disciples? So once we become disciples, the, the charge is in Matthew, we see in Matthew 28, Jesus says, hey, I have all the authority, I'm, I'm the boss, you therefore go and what? Make disciples. So why do we make disciples? Because Jesus says so, right? Because Jesus says so. It's like the, when your parents told you, you know, you ask questions, why, why do we do that? Because the Bible says so. And, that, and that's really important to follow Scripture, but we, we need to understand the heart behind that, right? Because even if I say, you need to be in a small group, I, I wanna, I, it's not just be in a small group, fill out the card, put it in the box. It's, I'm sharing the heart behind that, and I'm hoping that you grab, it, grab onto that with your heart. You wrap your heart around the why, right? We shepherd each other's heart and tend to each other's heart around that. So yes, Jesus did say so, but why? Don't you remember what he's done for you, right? The, the, the example that we have, we, we've been re- rescued from darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light and, and the kingdom of the sun through faith in Christ. You've been forgiven of your sin. You have been forgiven from all your sin through repentant faith in Jesus Christ. And you know the depth of your sin, and I know the depth of my sin. We've been rescued from much. We've been saved by our Lord Jesus. So why do we make disciples? Because other people haven't been saved yet. So we go out and we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We share the power of God with other people so that they might come to faith in Jesus as well. It's so important. Right? There should be a burden on our heart to want to share the gospel, want, want people to grow in faith in the gospel of Jesus. And then last week we talked about and answered the question, how are disciples made? How are disciples made? And remember, it's kind of a three-pronged attack. There were actually four points, but really one was a no-brainer, I said. The no-brainer was, how are they made? By the people of God, right? So they're not made by osmosis. The people of God partner with God Almighty and go out and make disciples. How? By the proclamation of the Word of God, independence on the Spirit of God, and we do it for the long haul, more and more, step by step. It's never once and done. It's always happening until we see Jesus face to face. That's how we make disciples. It's the word of God. It's not, it's not your own little clever thoughts and your own little wisdom or my own wisdom. It's, it's that we proclaim the word of God. Here's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how the gospel works. I, I love uh, seeing this in our church. I've seen it even as we have, have really relied on the word of God, as people need counsel and need, need aid. We had, I had this, this gal had come in to the office for counsel and had talked through some things and some pretty tough things. And, and I, I, you know, I could psychobabble if I wanted to, but I, I just opened the Bible and I read a psalm. I read a psalm. And you can just see how her heart melted because of God's, the power of God's word. And later on, she had shared with some friends and shared with me um, that she had gone home and she had taken out a guitar she hadn't played for a long time and she pulled that guitar out and she wrote, uh, wrote a song, Melody, to go with that psalm and she just sang that psalm. And she shared that this has been so profound for her because it was the word of God. See, we proclaim the word of God and when the word of God bears down, it's effective to change us. We saw that last week as well. So we proclaim the word of God but not in our own power, not in our own strength. It's, it's from the power of the Holy Spirit. We rely on the Holy Spirit to do the work. And we do it more and more. We just trust every divine appointment that God puts in our, in our path is, is His appointment. So we lean into that. And today we answer the final two questions. They are, who makes disciples? 
and where are disciples made? Now, we kind of covered the first one, but we're going we're gonna to cover a little more in depth. So who makes disciples? And then where are disciples made? So we are in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll, we'll read the text and get, get to work here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace, for your mercy shown to us through Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death in our place. God, may you give us a, a heart of humility today as we're here, knowing that we cannot save ourselves, that we are not good enough, that we don't have it all together, but God, we know that you do, and that you are good enough, and that you are big enough, and your sacrifice was big enough for us to be forgiven. We thank you that the work that you accomplished, you said, was finished, and that through faith in Christ, it can be finished for us, and we can have forgiveness. God, we ask now as we look to your word, that God, we would exalt your word, we would lift it up high, we'd hold it high as the standard, that we would let it speak to our, our hearts, and God, that your Holy Spirit would, would convict us of sin, and God, as we open our hearts, that we would desire to repent and be humble. God, our desire would be to look more like you and to, and to be obedient to you, not just people of faith, but people who follow the Lord Jesus. Convince us of that. Convict us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Acts chapter 1. I want to read verses 4 through 8, and then we'll, uh, we'll kind of tie some of that into our, to our first point today. Acts chapter 1, 4 through 8. While he, that is Jesus, was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. In Judea, or I'm sorry, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, what we're seeing here now today, as we look at that scripture, it's the, it's the birth of the church, right? Christ is ascending into heaven, and He's saying, "Just wait. I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait. Um, I'm going to send send the the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, and and you're going to have power. There's going to be power when the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers, and you are going to be my witnesses because of that power in Jerusalem, right? Your local area, uh, and then your your bigger region in Judea, uh, to Samaria, and to to ultimately the uttermost parts of the earth, right? That the gospel is going to go out by the power of the Holy Spirit. This goes back to how our disciples made. Proclamation of the word of God, the gospel, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit, right? More and more. So we, we don't, the, the job is never finished. So today as we look at who makes disciples, uh, I want to see kind of who was there. So number one is this, who makes disciples? All believers. Who makes disciples? All believers. It, it, it's too often found in a church, especially an American church, sometimes a small church, that people come and they become consumers of what a pastor shares with them. And the pastor's the pinnacle, the pastor's the one who is wise and, and, and learned and, and they know everything, so you don't have to. A togwash, right? We are learning together. I am learning and you should be learning. And we should be all disciples who go out and make disciples. We all have different roles and different giftings and different functions within the body, but we are all called as believers to go and make disciples. So when you look at this passage, you see uh, while he was with them, Jesus was with them. Who's them? It's not only the disciples it's, and the, the apostles, disciples. It, it was the, the followers, the, the other followers of Christ. 
a large group had, had gathered. And when he said, go wait in Jerusalem, they were in this upper room with, with lots of believers. There were hundreds of them waiting for God to send his Holy Spirit. Them was the followers of Jesus. So when you say them, oh, see, God just sent it to them, the, the apostles. That's not factually correct. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, right, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you've heard me speak about this, right? John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they and they, the, the followers, there's they, had come together, they asked, are you restoring the kingdom? Because this was on their mind constantly. Even Jesus has, has died, he's risen, and he's going to ascend to the Father. He's like, oh, are we going to, is this, this about the kingdom here on earth again? Are we going to take care of this? No, that's not, you're, you're thinking weird here. This is about the kingdom of God. It's a bigger thing than just Israel. So let's go big here. And, why, and how does he prove that? He goes on, he says, it's not for you to know the times and period of when we're going to restore this kingdom. But the Holy Spirit that comes, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. On who? You. And who's the you? Who's the, it's the them. It's all of the followers of Jesus. Uh, and you will be my witnesses. So what is the kingdom of God? It's about witnessing uh, people, people who love Jesus, who are witnessing to the uttermost parts of the earth, growing the kingdom of God. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's about them, the believers, the followers of Christ. I want to read a portion out of Acts chapter 2, if you want to just turn a page or go down a, a paragraph there, yeah, starting at verse 14. And, and, and Dave read some of this earlier, and I, I want us to see what happened here. Remember, they, they had just uh, been, been sharing the gospel and speaking in tongues, right? Different tongues of different people, uh, all different groups of people. You can look through that text, were there, and they were listening, and they're like, I can hear that person speaking in my own language, and, and they can hear someone speaking in their language. It's like, what is going on here? I remember a story about a missionary who, um, I think it was, I think it was in, in Asia somewhere, and they were speaking uh, in, in a large group setting, and they're sharing the gospel, and they had an interpreter. So a missionary went over to a land that wasn't their own, but they're sharing the gospel. And, and this account shows this missionary passionately sharing the gospel, the interpreter passionately interpreting the gospel. And all of a sudden, the interpreter stops speaking, and the, and the guy's sharing and speaking, and he's kind of like, why aren't you talking about what I'm, why aren't you continuing? You're kind of, you need to catch up. It's like a fire hose. He says, you're doing a good job. You're speaking the language. Just go for it. Everyone hears and understands what you're saying. Give me goosebumps right now. Like, that, that was a gift of tongues there, right? Given that people would understand in their own language what someone who didn't know their language was saying. How is that accomplished? Because the people of God share the word of God by what? The power of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. So Jesus is saying, hey, you guys are going to get power here. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And, and you're going to see amazing things happen when you rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so they were all talking in these different languages. And people were like, oh, they're just drunk. Now, drunk talk is not, I, I know kind of English. And then I start speaking fluently a language I have no idea about, right? Drunk people don't do that, right? P drunk people who speak kind of English, when they get drunk, speak kind of sort of English. You see, it goes backwards, right? But anything to discount, anything to say, that's not of God, anything to say, that, that can be discounted, right? So Peter sends him, says, hey, no, no, no. He, he raised his voice and he proclaimed, fellow Jews and all residents of Jerusalem, let it be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. So now he's speaking to people, Jews, Gentiles alike. He's saying, this, is, this has been talked about. This was promised and prophesied in Joel. And here's what he quotes. And as it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
not just a select few, not a couple who will do the job, on all. He'll pour out his, his, his spirit on all. And then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So it's not just all men, it's all men and women, right? Sons and daughters. Anyone who expresses faith in Christ is now indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. This is, this is important for us to grasp. And here's why. Because you and I kind of live sometimes in a way that says someone else will do it. Someone else is stronger. Someone else is more learned. Someone else has it better than I do. First of all, if you've come to faith in Christ in, in a genuine way, you, you have the gospel. You have it. You've understood. And, and, and maybe you don't clearly articulate that, but that's why we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us with that. That's why we set ourselves in a place to be filled by the Spirit of God as we ourselves uh, dive deep into the Word of God and, and learn what we can and, and grow in our faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But they, they then, we, we, you and I are, are filled with the Spirit of God. We are to prophesy, we're to speak, we're to proclaim the Word of God. What is that message? Well, he goes on in Acts 2, down in verse 36. He said, let all the house of Israel know with certainty. What are they prophesying? That, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. What, what, what's happening here? Well, a lot of people had killed Jesus. They were the ones that screamed, crucified. They're still in this crowd today. They're seeing all this happen. They're like, what is going on? And Peter's like, there was a mistake made here, wasn't there? You should, probably shouldn't have killed Jesus. Right? Of course, no one killed Jesus. Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. No one could kill him. He laid it down. But they still wanted him dead. They wanted him gone. They wanted him done with. And, and Peter's saying, listen, this, this Jesus who God sent to us, he actually, and who is now risen, he is actually Lord and Messiah. He, he is exactly who he said he was. So you are to understand that. So we proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that you and I are sinful and separated from God, that, that we are in deep doo-doo because of our sin. And there's nothing we can do to fix that. But Jesus came to die in our place, the place that we should die, right? The wages of our sin is death, and it's separation from God. But God wanted us to be with him. God wanted us to know forgiveness and know his love. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who willingly laid his life down. He said, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm Lord and Messiah. I'm God in the flesh. I'm the one that can save. Oh, no, you're not. That's blasphemy. Let's kill you. And he laid down his life as Lord and Messiah as an atonement, a sacrifice, because the wages of sin is death. So he died in our place. He died in the place that you should have died. He died in the place that I should have died. That through faith in Jesus Christ as both Lord and Messiah, you and I could be forgiven and made whole. That's the message we share. That's the message we preach to the, to the unchurched. That's the message we preach to each other. That's the message we preach to our heart. That I was sinful and separated and I needed a Savior. And Jesus is my Savior, so I turn from my own ways and turn to Him in faith. We are disciples who are filled with God's Spirit and we are to proclaim the message of the Lord Jesus Christ we proclaim the Word of God, but we do it by the power of the Spirit of God, and we do it step by step, more and more. I want to show you a few more instances of this, where it's they, them. Who, who, who makes disciples? We do, all of us, the believers. Later on in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested, and they've been told, don't you go preach and don't say anything about the Lord Jesus. And, and, and they went back to the, the group, and they said, what happened? And they said, we aren't to preach about the Lord Jesus anymore. 
And then they got in a prayer huddle and like, let's pray about this. And they said, God, ignore those guys' threats. Give us more boldness. And here's what it says in Acts 4, 30, 31. When they had prayed, right, this is after they're told, stop this stuff. When they prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God boldly. It's like, okay, I might have been timid earlier and they slapped me a little bit around and, and said, don't do this anymore. And then when I went and prayed, I became even more bold. Right? And who was they? They, the believers, the, the disciples, the believers, the followers of Christ are they. But Romans, Paul tells us this. He says uh, in Romans 1, I, I, want, I, want, uh, I want you very much to see, he says, that I might, uh, imp- let me start again. I'm reading ahead. Uh, For I want very much to see you. Paul wants to see the, the church at Rome, right? To go and, and to talk and be with them. That's how he was often. Uh, For I very much want to see you so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift uh, to strengthen you, right? He wants to strengthen and encourage the church. Great, that's part of his role. He was, he was a, a, a kind of a church planter, a church starter, a pastor going about. But then he says that is to be mutual, right? Yeah, be mutually encouraged. So it wasn't just Paul coming and saying, I've got all the wisdom, I've got all the strength, listen to me and you'll be good to go. He says, I want to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And he says, both yours and mine. So that's what discipleship is, right? Who makes disciples? Yours and mine. Both of us, all of us. We, we encourage one another. Later on in, in Romans 15, he says this in verse uh, 14. Brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you are full of goodness. Like he, he's looked at their life, he said, you are full of goodness. You are filled with knowledge and you are able to instruct one another. That should be our endeavor as followers of Christ who come and, and submit ourselves to the Word of God so we can proclaim the Word of God by the power of the Spirit of God. Our desire should be that we should be full of goodness. Right? I want to be kind. I want to be compassionate. I want to be good. I want to be righteous. I want to live holy and not for myself. So I want to be filled with goodness. And I, and, and I want to be filled with knowledge. Hopefully that's our desire as we come together on Sunday mornings. We fill with more knowledge. Hopefully that's our desire as we go out of here and go to the Word of God on our own and study that we be filled with knowledge. Hopefully that's our desire as we go into a community group, a small group, that we will be filled with more knowledge and sharpened. And then as we do that also, that we be able to instruct one another. We're able to instruct one another. So it doesn't say that, that you could sit under my teaching and I'll instruct you. But that we would instruct one another. It doesn't happen right now. Right now, it's not happening. I'm giving you some food. God's giving us a word, and, and there's a discussion sheet on the back of your notes, and you can go talk to someone about that and start instructing one another. Encourage one another. Sharpen one another. Go to the Word of God. That's, that's Paul's expectation, and that's Jesus' expectation, and Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you hanging. Here's the Holy Spirit. Who makes disciples? Answer? All believers are called to make disciples. So now we're going to transition from the who to where are disciples made? What does this look like? Where, where are they made? And, and there's two basic sections here. The first one's a little complex, and we're going to tackle that first. Uh, the first where is this. Number, number two, it's the first where, but it's number two, second point on your notes, right? Where are disciples made? In a learning church by leaders with sound doctrine. And there's, there's three different things there, right? There's a learning church by leaders and then with sound doctrine. So there's three components there. And it's definitely not meant to say, if you want to just cross off leaders, kind of grade out a little bit, it's not about by someone more important than you. It's not that. Okay, let's, let's read this text. So I want you to turn with me, if you can, to Ephesians chapter four. 
Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're done in Acts chapter uh, 1 and 2. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. We're going to read verses 11 through 16 together. Where are disciples made? As you turn there, I want us to, to think about something. Think about the American church. And I say the American, just think about your church or churches you've been involved with, right? Um, one of the things that we have, have kind of changed the, the approach to church or, or the approach to church has changed over the years is this. We've, we have made it a model of, of consumer programs, right? We've got something for you. And we've, we've actually said that from the pulpit. And, and even, just, even a few minutes ago when I gave you announcements about Wednesday night, hey, there's something for parents, there's something for kids, there's something going on for everybody, right? It's like it's, it's something for you. We want to give you something so you can come consume. We want to provide opportunities for people to grow. And if we can do that all on the same night, it makes it a little easier as far as the family is concerned, right? But we tend to have a mindset sometimes of, of really a program-driven church, a program-driven ministry. It's like, hey, man, let's create a program, and it's going to be awesome. I'm going to give you a little insight here. That's not how it should work. And actually, we've been talking a little bit about our, our fasting and prayer night. How many of you, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, right? 1 being it's not really that important to the, in the Scriptures or in the Christian life, and 10 being it's of extreme importance, probably one of the most important things we could do. How important is the church coming together and fasting and praying? What do you think? Shout it out. Someone says 10. Someone says 10. Does anyone believe it's less than five? Like it's, not, it's less important? We, yeah. Sometimes. Right. So, I, and here, let me give you an example of this. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just, we're trying to understand. We, we don't have an if you build it, they will come model. If we make a program, oh, everyone's going to love it and come. We, that's how the world works. And they have commercials for it, so we come. So we, we built a Monday night fasting and prayer. And if we're all in agreement that it's probably a 10, that the church should be fasting and praying, why are there eight people there? Right? Because it hasn't got us here yet, and a program isn't always effective. We have to be able to wrap our heart around the, the, the instruction from Scripture and make it personal before we can Go bigger, right? My, my desire would be that in every community group, you're fasting and praying, you're doing that together. Uh, my desire is even, let, let's, let's stop thinking we need to add a program, and what we're going to see happen is we're going to make it more prevalent right here, because we do believe this is important. We're all here, and so when we all gather, we should pray and be encouraged to fast. So you see that the idea of program-driven ministry is not always helpful. We can't just say, we're going to make a program and everyone's going to come to it. It's going to be great. That's not true, right? And it doesn't even mean that you don't take it seriously. It's just, it may not have been the right real estate or time period. And, and for some, some of us, it may, maybe we don't take it seriously. We, we should question ourselves in that, right? But, but a program-driven model is not what it's about. So when we talk about this, we talk about where are disciples made. We have to understand that it's, what's of supreme importance is not programs, but people, Right, so you write your notes. It's not about programs; it's about people. You know, we can have a huge list in our bulletin of all the programs we have going on, but if it's not affecting a single person, are they good? Are they beneficial? The answer is no, no. So the question is how how do we affect 
and shepherd and tend to the hearts of the brethren, of the brothers and sisters. And that's what you and I should be asking ourselves. How, how do I, right, in my role as a disciple and follower of Christ and as a pastor in this church, how do I tend to the hearts of people around me? But how do you and I, as just disciples and Christ followers in this body, tend to the hearts of those around me? So it's, it's not about making another program always. It's about people. Here's another example of this. It's, it's great that we have a program going. It's great that we have a sign-up card, and I really want you to use this. I want you to say, I want to sign up for a small group. But what I've, what I've understood in the past is this. Whether we've had a, like we've done this before, we've had a sign-up in the back on the kiosk, Brandon's group or someone else's group, and there's a whole list of spaces you could write your name. And it, it's been semi-effective. But you know what's been more effective than that? is when I go out and recruit my own small group. When I look you in the eyeball, right, eyeball to eyeball, and I, I say, hey, I'm starting a group at my house. I, it's on Monday night or whatever, whatever day, and I'd love to have you be part of that. Or would you consider that, right? There's a relationship that's being built there, right? Because it's not about, hey, I've got a program, and I've, I seriously, I've, I've, I have failed small group leaders in the past where, hey, what day do you want to do your small group? Great, we'll have sign-ups for it. They tell me the day. They tell me the location. They, they have a sign-up sheet. It's at the kiosk, and the day comes, and they're ready at their house. The coffee's on, and the brownies have been made, and nobody shows up. Because we made it about a program that nobody signed up for and nobody was engaged heart to heart with, right? So it's so important for us to, to move out of the mentality of programs. Now, we do offer programs. We do create programs that, that will tend to the hearts of people and that will be a, a benefit for families and for children and for youth. But we, we don't just create a program thinking we're a successful church. We have actually, and COVID's been amazing for us in this regard, we have like, like, cut way back on everything we've been doing to really reevaluate what's important and what's not, what's effective and what's not. The other side of this is a church should not be uh, the end all of, of activities. The body of Christ should, right? So uh, I've talked about this before. Like, like I, I love going uh, to uh, the shooting range and I'm a part of the shooting club and there's, there's events there, right? We don't need a ministry in our church for that. We have people who might like to do that and they can just talk to other people and invite them and go. Right? We don't need to have a program with the church. It's the shooting ministry. I mean, that's kind of weird, right? And, and, and it's, it's kind of odd. And think about your favorite hobby, like the, the fishing ministry. I mean, yeah, the men's ministry goes on a fishing trip maybe once a year, but we don't have a fishing ministry, right? Jesus does. He says, be fishers of men. But if you want to go fishing, take someone to go fishing with you. That's, that's where disciples are made, right? The truth is they're made everywhere. So there's some shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder activity. There's heart-to-heart -heart that has to happen, not just let's make a program. And if we build it, they will come, right? Despite what James Earl Jones said. He, he quoted that, right? Is that right? Anyway, feel the dreams. Where are disciples made? In a learning church by leaders with sound doctrine. Ephesians 4. Let's look at how this is set up. Let's look at some of the characteristics here. Verses 11 through 16. He himself, that is Jesus, gave some not all, right? Some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. What's their role? Well, to equip the saints for work in the ministry. See, there's something the saints need to do, right? Go on. Uh, what, what else? To equip the saints for work in the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we'll no longer be children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us 
grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. This, this I believe, is a, a snapshot of what I would call the learning church. Right? A church that has, has and identifies spiritual leaders. There are elders or, 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 or apostles, prophets, uh, people who are equipped to teach and train and lead, who are both qualified and called. Right? We see that in our church. We see leadership here for that, but we, we don't stop there. Their, their job is to then disciple and equip the saints, the rest of us, right, to, to grow and what to do what? To work in ministry, to build up the body of Christ. So here's the learning church. The, the body is built up, that we are reaching unity in the faith. That, that's, that takes place in a learning church. Uh, and we're to unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. And that we're growing into maturity. This is a learning church. See the snapshot here? You have leaders who are equipping and training, and, and then we are growing. And when we grow, what happens with that? Well, it says that, first of all, it's measured by Christ's fullness, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But, it, but go on, it says in verse 14, we're, we're no longer than little children. See, there is a point where we're little children. We're tossed about like to any form of teaching that comes our way. Like, oh, that sounds right. I'll believe that. Or, so we kind of, we sharpen that. We grow up a little bit. We mature. And we're not, we're not thrown off. And then what do we do? What's the response? But speaking the truth in love. So it's really important. The truth, sound doctrine is important that we refute uh, false teaching so that we aren't tossed about and we hold on to sound teaching, but speaking the truth in love, let us. So now you see how this learning church has leaders who are equipping and, and, and empowering and helping people grow, but what are they doing? They're doing it so they can work in the ministry, and then it says in verse 15, let us. That's not just the leaders, it's us, the body of Christ, right? Let us grow together, right, in every way into him who is the head, Christ Jesus, for, for, uh, from him, the whole body, the whole body. So we are growing together. The whole body is fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, and it promotes the growth of the body. Right? When we're knitted together and when we're growing, it promotes the growth of the body as a whole for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. The learning church, is, 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 that's where discipleship happens. And it should happen from, from solid, called, qualified leaders who are teaching the word of God and equipping the saints, but then all of us should be engaged in building up the body of Christ. So it's in a learning church, not just with great leaders, but in a learning church with leaders who love the word of God and sound teaching. In Titus, we see this sound doctrine thing that, that, that elders should, should be holding on to the faithful messages taught so that they're able to teach and encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it because it's all around us, right? Right? The enemy has the counterfeit all around us. For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party, a, a, a particular issue going on then. Uh, it is necessary to silence them. Why? Here, here's the charge. Here's why, why you have leadership watching the doctrine and, and helping make the doctrine, make sure the doctrine is proper and right. Because this other doctrine, this other stuff it's, that's necessary to silence is ruining entire households by teaching what they should in order to get money dishonestly. We don't want to see households ruined. We want to see God have victory in households. We want to see children grow up to love the Lord. We want to see husbands love their wives and, and wives love their husbands and stay together united in humility in Christ. We want to see that grow. So yes, you have, a, a, you have leaders 
who are watching the doctrine, but then you have learners, all of us who are learning Christ together, and we are growing in this learning church, and we're speaking together with sound doctrine. We're, we're speaking the truth in love. And, and this happens, I said earlier, in vulnerable community. It happens, I, I told you last week, you get that yellow card out and say, hey, go, go share with someone, go ask questions of somebody. This, that's when this happens. It's in vulnerable community as we submit to the Word of God and then are equipped to go out and serve and share the gospel all around us. So when we're in a proper place here, I, I want to I go back to real quick that, that stature measured by Christ's fullness. We, we can think we're doing enough. We can think our priorities are all in line, but they may not be, right? I, I'm, I'm working on building my shop slowly but surely right now, my, my garage, and, and it, I, it's so important to have all the measurements just right, right? And I'm laying out trusses this week, and, and it's so important that I, I use a tape measure that's not broken, that's not off. I don't use some metric system. I need them 24 inches on center. So I grab my Stanley tape measure, and I use that and, and go by you know, standard inches because that's what they need. I'm not pulling out my kid's ruler from school that has these weird centimeters on it. Because 24 centimeters is way different than 24 inches. Way different. There's a measuring tape. There is a litmus test. There is a standard that we must use, and it is not ours. It's not your dad's. It's not your granddad's. It's not the neighbor's. It's not your coworkers. It's not the, the, the government's. It is the measurement of Jesus Christ's fullness. That's what we measure against. That's how we become sound. And as we do that, as we get to that place, what happens? Colossians says this, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, here's what it looks like, we are then to clothe ourselves, put on compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, uh, and if anyone, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is uh, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ uh, to which you were called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. So we're setting the stage of humility and compassion and letting the fruit of the Spirit win in our life to be disciples. And then what do we do? It goes on here. I love, I love this text. It's, it's a text dear to my heart, especially the last couple of years. It's let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's not just talking, hey, this is a pastor training session. This is a Christian training session for disciples of Christ that you and I should let the Word of God dwell in us richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. This is what, what our role is to do. Where are they made? This is the, what the church does in the, in the building and out of the building. Teaching and admonishing one another through what? Through psalms, right? Songs and hymns. And spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do, it, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's another way we admonish one another. That's one of the things that you might have seen a change in what we sing over the last year or so. It's not the, the feely, emotional, like, I feel so good about myself. These are songs that when we sing them, we can, we're letting the Word of God be sung to our heart and we're able to sing it to each other. And, and I do that. I, I kid you not, I've used it multiple times in my own home with my own family. We, a song we sang on Sunday morning, not even something I preached, but a song we sang on Sunday morning. I go back with my kids and something happens and I'm, I sing that song to them because it's the Word of God coming to bear on their lives and they're catching that. And, and, and it's, it's how we edify and admonish one another. We are to do that for one another. 
Disciples, where disciples made in the learning church with leaders who are caring about sound doctrine and setting us straight so we can then go and clothe ourselves with compassion and humility and love each other and speak the truth in love and sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another as the word of God dwells richly in us. So important for that. Finally, where are disciples made? This is number three on your notes. In every corner of darkness. That's where. Disciples are made in every corner of darkness. And I guarantee you, those corners of darkness are not going to be the most comfortable, opportune times. In fact, they're going to be probably the most uncomfortable, inopportune times because Satan hates Jesus and hates the truth and doesn't want people in the light. But are you and I going to cower to Satan or are we going to be empowered by the Word of God and the Spirit of God to speak the truth in love to a world who needs Him? Disciples are made in every corner of darkness. Paul reminds us in Ephesians that there was a time, one time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. That was us, right? Do you remember that? Do you get a faint glimpse of when you were a stranger and an enemy of God? where you lived in darkness, we come here, we're like, thank God he saved me. What about your neighbor? What about your parents? What about your kids? What about your coworker? What about your teacher? They're all over people that need Jesus. Because now, because of faith in Christ, we are in Christ. We who are far away, where is far away? That's the every corner of darkness. We who are far away have been what? Brought near by the blood of Christ. See, we know that Christ atoned for our sin. Why? Because someone proclaimed the word of God by the power of the Spirit of God, and God's Spirit changed us and convinced us of that. So you and I are to share the gospel and make disciples. Where? In every corner of darkness. We saw it in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. What did Jesus say? Go and make disciples of what? All nations. And I'll be with you as you go. Why? Because Satan's a roaring lion and he's going to try to devour and, and try to lie and try to make, it, uh, make you cower. But trust me, I'll be with you. Go. As you go, go into the nations. We need reminded of that darkness. We saw it in, in Acts 1. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be witnesses where? To your neighbor? Yes. Down the street? Yes. Next county? Yes. Another state? Yep. Another country? Absolutely to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the final reminder from 1 Peter chapter 2. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Isn't that special? Isn't that special that we're that unique and called out ones? We're the called out ones of God, assembled from every tribe and every tongue, every nation, the most diverse group in all of humanity are those who are united by faith in Jesus Christ. And he chose us to be his people. Why? So that. So that you may proclaim, that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's the goal for you and I as Christians, as Christ followers. We make disciples where? In every corner of darkness. 
because we were once there and we know what it was like to be in darkness, be called into his marvelous light. See, it says once we were not, we were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It, it's so important for us to get this, that when we talk about discipleship, it is not about people who are more learned and who are leaders or pastors or elders. It's not their job only. It is the job of every single believer to yield themselves to God's word, to God's spirit, and to proclaim it boldly to the uttermost parts of the earth. Why? Because he gave you mercy and pulled you out of darkness and brought you into the light. And he wants to do that for others as well. May we humble ourselves and grow in him so that we can share Christ with a world who desperately needs Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me as we pray and, and continue to worship? Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that you are calling us to something uh, amazing. It's, it's, not, it's not something that we can do in our own power, God, by our own might. And God, that keeps us from moving. That keeps us from being excited at times. But God, I, I pray that you would help us yield our spirit to you. That God, we would say, God, I, I can't do this. I need your spirit. I need your word. And God, that you would shape us and that you would empower us and that you would embolden us to speak the truth in love, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only the gospel to people who don't know you, but God, that we would impart that to one another, that we would be about letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, that we would sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, reminding us of that truth, that it's discipling one another, encouraging one another, admonishing one another as you have charged us to do. So we praise you for that. God, as we continue now in worship, God, may you overflow our hearts with joy and hope that we have in Christ. And God, may we hear the words of these songs that, that are Scripture being sung to our heart. And God, may we take these words and sing them to the hearts of our brothers and sisters today. And even after we leave, that they'd still be on our lips in order to encourage and edify and build up the body of Christ. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.